Who do we talk about? Besides Jesus. You know, that's sometimes in Sunday school, that's just a pat answer. Somebody you can pronounce Something. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Can you say Mephibosheth? As Mr. Rogers used to say, I knew you could. You see, there are some characters in the Bible that get a lot of press. You're talking about Joshua. Talk about Moses. Talk about Solomon. It's a lot of stuff about that. We don't read a lot about Mephibosheth. Maybe if his name were a little shorter, it would be easier to remember. I don't know. But Mephibosheth was not a king, although his grandpa was king. His grandpa was Saul. His daddy was Jonathan. And Jonathan was not only a prince, one of the three sons of King Saul, but he and David were not only fellow Hebrews, they were not only in the army of the king, but their souls were knit together. They were very close. But Saul died. Jonathan died. And after some of the dust has settled, not all because a guy named Shibiai kicks up some little later on in the book, David asks around. He asked if there were any, this is in the ninth chapter of 2 Samuel, is there any left of the house of Saul that I might for Jonathan's sake bless? And we looked at the narrative and mainly stayed here in 2 Samuel talking about Five C's. We talked about the covenant, the cripple, the call, the care, and the conflict. I wanted to lay those out for you first to show you that there is a beautiful parallel between what we read in the experience of Mephibosheth and what you and I have in relation to the Lord. If you can read a passage of Scripture and you can't make any connection to any spiritual truth, whether it's you, me, or anybody else, I suspect if you can't make any connection to the great things of God more than just so-and-so be that so-and-so, etc., etc., think we need to read it again. Because the Lord made it clear that from the beginning, God was illustrating. 
God was endorsing. God was displaying some great things. When you study the types of the Lord, a preacher friend of mine was challenged by his deacon and said, Preacher, why don't you preach on the types of Christ? And he told me, yeah, that will be good for about six months probably. Thirteen years later, he was still preaching on the types of Christ in the Old Testament. And you don't have to make anything up. It's right here in this book. And so, when we think about Mephibosheth, I think I told you what the name Mephibosheth means. Did anybody catch that? Exterminator of shame. If I were to try to stand before God on my own merits, that will walk. And it won't wash if you do either. That's why we sing. Marcia was playing not long ago. What can wash away my sin? If you say, well, I'm a church member. That doesn't do it. Well, I got a star in Sunday school or at church camp. That won't get it. I did this. I did that. No. You know what can wash away your sin? My sweat. My intentions. My accumulated wealth and goodness. No. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just as with the story of Mephibosheth, it goes back first to a covenant. A covenant that David made. He swore that he would do because of Jonathan. And I want you to know that there is a son who has the ear of his father. And that son, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And when he prays, he told Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And he said, I asked an angel to pray for you. I'm going to have your mama pray for you. I'm going to have somebody up. No, Jesus, I have prayed for you. But your faith failed not. Are you thankful for a great high priest who is still on our behalf? Because we are works in progress. A guy made a little pin and said, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And yet it's Christ who more than once reminded us that He had a connection with the Father second to none. He boldly said, I and my Father are one. And when He made it clear, I am the Son of God, we were challenged I think it was from you this morning to be reminded. Can we as Christians, when we say Jesus was the Son of God, can you show it to me in the book? Well, my preacher said, can you show it to me? That's why we got the book. Preachers come and preachers go, but the book stands. 
Lord Smith preached a great message on that uh, conference, didn't he? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. Time and time again, I would remind you, turn with me please to the 17th of John. Somebody refers to the Lord's Prayer and sometimes they're talking about the Our Father. But if you want to get what Jesus prayed to His Father, if you have a red letter edition, it's really easy to find because most of this chapter is in the red letters. The first verse He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. The Father is in the business of glorifying the Son, and the Son is in the business of glorifying the Father. Are you a child of God? Then you should be in the business of glorifying the Father. And glory in the Son, not yourself, your possessions, your intentions, or anything like that. Look also verses 4 through 8. I have glorified thee on the earth. And we ought to be able to say that too. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I think Paul said something about that. Second Timothy. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Mm. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. We talk about the friendship between David and Jonathan. And yet, we read there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You might have some human so close to you. And you, you think to yourself, well, I could start a sentence and they could finish it. Well, they know you pretty well if they can do that. But there's still someone closer. If you're a child of God, you have Jesus Christ. He has you. I hope He has you in such a way that you understand that He would reach out to you even when you would not reach out to Him. This covenant involved the great love in the form of grace. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. It is a free gift. It is something for nothing. If you work for it, folks, it ain't grace. So I know God loves me because I've known it. I've seen that. I've heard of that. I've accomplished that. No, if it's all about me, 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 that won't. Jesus Christ. Who is he? And what is done? For see, just as there was a covenant between David and Jonathan, there was a covenant, and uh, it's a long-standing one. It's made to benefit the children. Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, said, This is the cup. My blood in the New Testament was shed for many. 
for the remission of sin. He wasn't just fooling around. He wasn't just making something up on the flock. This is something. Well, you see, he stood as a lamb slain from before the creation of Adam and Eve. Our great God did not as a second thought decide, well, it didn't work out, so we'll go to plan B. Watch out for the plan B people. That ain't where we're supposed to be. In fact, in the 13th of Hebrews, it speaks in verses 20 and 21, the blood of the everlasting covenants. This business of the Christian life does not begin when you make a commitment. We hear that song, Oh, how I love Jesus. Don't forget the last part. I think we can say we saved the best for last. Because He first loved me. If you think God used to hate you, but all of a sudden He decided because you're so good, you're so wonderful, that now I'm going to start loving Him. That's not what the Bible teaches. He loves His people with an everlasting love. We can't mark a beginning. We can't mark an end. Why is that such good news? Well, what was the condition of Mephibosheth? Was he vigorous? Was he a champion? Was he going to go out there and clobber somebody like Goliath? Well, not exactly. Could he muster a lot of materials? Could he demonstrate a lot of things? No. He was crippled. Very limited. Now whether you like to admit it or not, you have limitations. We're reminded of our limitations. If you live long enough, you're reminded more and more and more. Somebody said, uh, I know I must be getting closer to heaven because I think a lot about the hereafter. Really? Yeah. I go on a road now. What did I tell you you're after? But we need to know our spiritual condition. And it says something. David did this for the cripple that was Mephibosheth. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, it tells us that compliments of our great, 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 so many times, Grandpa. Adam, we had a we had a problem. We sometimes call it the fall. Well, Mephibosheth did have a fall literally when he was a little fellow. But what we call the fall was a lot more devastating than just making it out. Adam didn't just get a band-aid spiritually. He didn't have to have his arm in a sling or something like that. No, it tells us that he died. Died. That's pretty final now, isn't it? Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 12. Whereas as by one, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, what came with sin? Death. So, well, he was diseased. He was weakened. He was impaired. He was confused. No, he's dead. Spiritually dead. 
human, you know, physically, he, he lived 930 years. But he died. Hmm. But that's just Adam, right? Keep reading. And so death passed upon all men. Your daddy was born spiritually dead. So was mine. All the way back to Adam. We don't come into this world with glowing angelic thoughts. No. Jesus said, I did not come to judge this world. The world was condemned already. He said that just two verses after the golden text in our Bible. And the evidence? All sinned. They did back then. They're doing it now. And they're going to keep doing it. Sin is not something that you have to teach your kids to do. They, they just do it on their own. And uh, anybody who's been a parent knows that you can try to impair that. You can try to bend the twig a certain way. But as a spiritual cripple, what does man have to offer to God? Romans 8 verse 8 says, They that are in the flesh cannot please God. That doesn't mean if you're still in the physical body, you're still in one of these things, your soma, that means you can't please God. No. Because Paul, who was in his soma, he was in his physical body at the time, he wrote that letter to those people in Rome. And they were their physical bodies. Well, it says they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And then just a little bit later he says, but you are in the spirit. You're not the flesh, you're in the spirit. It's a spiritual thing. There's no glow about you. We don't have halos over our heads. We don't have a, a special glow. The people who honor, quote, Lord Krishna, believe he came in the world, he had blue skin. He looked like a smurf. They don't like people saying that, but that's basically what they look like. You know. I talked to a guy once, and he says, you can tell our God well, Jesus fit in with everybody else. He wasn't like old blue boy that you could pick out of a crowd. But what is the problem? You say, well, that cripple did a lot of things he, he just, just can't do. Uh, Mephibosheth wasn't going to do much mountain climbing now, was he? Hebrews 11 and verse 6 tells us, you want to please God? I'll please God. I'll go to church today. That's sure to please God. Really? Really? We we heard a lesson this morning about the fact that even the king's palaces have those little creepy crawlies in them. More than once I've apologized to my dear wife for buying a house in that post here. Yeah, I told her. But you know what? On a bad day, your house probably has bugs in it too. It happens. These things are there. These things are out there. 
But if you would please God, is it a question of use lots of listening, use lots of life salt, get things clean like that? Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it is kind of hard to please God. Without faith, it's not very likely. No, no, that might be the way some versions might word it. But is not the message of God. Without faith, it is impossible. It ain't happening. Without faith, I got money. Without faith, I got connections. Without faith, <coughs> well, I've made my promises to. Without faith, it is impossible. Please him. For he that cometh to God, that's me. I come to God. I got my best clothes on. I, I even comb my hair and brush my teeth and all that. I'm presentable before God. Oh, really? God sees your heart. God sees my heart. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them. But that's an important word, diligently seek him. Do you seek Him with your whole heart? Or are you just half-hearted? Oh, oh, um, maybe. Maybe. No big deal. Now watch out our whole race. All of the members of Adam's race are totally incapable. Mephibosheth wasn't going to win a weightlifting contest. Mephibosheth would never come in first in the 100-yard day. No, he wasn't picking up a, a javelin and throwing it like that. He wasn't standing against the giant Goliath. No. He was lame on both his feet. We begin our lives with this disadvantage. Maybe that's putting it too mildly. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He talked about the wicked and he said in the 58th Psalm that they are speaking lies even from their birth. I know that's hard for us to process sometimes, but it's the truth. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he laments the fact that uh, we really don't have a very good track record. Just to give you one real quickly in the 13th chapter and verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Imagine the leopard went into the dry cleaner and says, I want you, Mr. Dry Cleaner, to remove some of my spots. Or, or Take one away and put another one. Just move around them. I'm tired of this configuration. Now, they might wish it, but it's not going to happen. We call those rhetorical questions. We know the answer. Then may you also do good that are accustomed to do evil. If you go to a certain restaurant every Monday morning, I mean, you make a habit of this. Every Monday that it's open, you're there. You've got your seat. The, the waitress knows you so well. And she says, and you 
you know what I want. And she knows. Brings exactly what you want. You've made it your habit. That's what it says about doing evil. Evil is not something, whoops, I, I can't imagine that. Why, it's been years since I did this. Accustomed to do evil. What makes the difference? What made the difference with Mephibosheth? Was he sitting around one day? I'm tired of just sitting around. Nobody gives me the time of day. Uh, I'm in a bad way. I'm going to go to the palace. I'm going to talk to the king. And I'm going to make sure. Something's done about this. I got my rights. No. It was David who took the initiative. David sent word and had Mephibosheth brought to him. Again, that's why we call it grace, folks. In the 33rd Psalm, we're reminded that the Lord gives bountifully. In 33 and 7, it says, He gathered the waters of the sea together as in a heap. He layeth up the depth to storehouses. Some people think that God comes out with his eyedropper. I'm going to give you a little grace now. Okay, that's all you get. That person needs to read the 68th Psalm. <clears throat> Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. You say, what kind of benefits did he load me with? Can you see? Well, yeah. Do you thank God for your sight? Do you thank God for your hearing? Do you thank God for your sense of equilibrium? If you didn't have it, you'd just fall over those pews. I'd fall down. I, I couldn't be up straight. No. So many things that God has blessed us with, just in the physical. And when you think about the spiritual blessings, the things that we have in Christ, can you rejoice in Christ Jesus? Put no confidence in the flesh. In the 55th of Isaiah, reminded, come freely. If you have no money, come and buy. Enjoy what I afford you. Now some people say, I can't go to that place. I'm not made out of money. I don't have much. They, they throw me out of my ear. Or I can even get some of those appetizers in me. Ephesians 1 tells us that he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, it's greater than winning any jackpot, super bingo lottery, or whatever you have going on. That's nothing compared to what we have in Christ. In me, he ain't got much. In you or somebody else, he ain't got much. But in Christ, there's where we have the blessing. There's where we have the beauty. And it was the Lord who was constantly persuading men to show them what God had done what he was pleased to say. I can't find any places where the Lord said, uh, 
this is not for. This is not for. He spoke in such a way. Sometimes what we call an invitation is more of a formality. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 12, verse 32? If you live Jesus before others, if you speak Jesus before others, if you are a glowing testimony of Jesus Christ, that has a way of drawing people to you. Some people say, well, what would so-and-so say? It's different characters from history. People have written books. What would so-and-so say about this, about that? We need to take them to what Jesus said. That's one other reason why we got the book. John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, and he was indeed lifted up, we call that the crucifixion. He was lifted up. They didn't hide him away. They put him on display to say, this is how we treat your king. He's our king. And we don't shy away from that, do we? I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me, young and old, rich and poor, regardless of the color, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their status. And he's still in the business of saving souls. It's the Lord who draws them. Sometimes people put the emphasis upon the wrong syllable. They say, we want to make people willing. We want to do this. We want why we can make it palatable. That's what a lot of places are trying to they're trying to make Jesus more palatable. But the Lord says, I will draw men unto me. Men come up with their plans and their program. We're going to do this and we're going to. And yet you read in the book of Acts, it says the Lord added daily to the church, such as should be saved. He didn't say left it up to the apostles or the angels. It was the Lord who did it. The Lord who brought this to be. Sometimes men say, well, I have my moral code. I figured out the way to do it. As Jesus famously reminded us in the 14th of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father, but by me. There is no going without Christ. There is no going, no knowing. Either one, there is no living without Christ. We think about the care that was afforded Mephibosheth, and that parallels the care which the Lord has given. What did the Lord promise? He said, you who are weak and heavy laden, he didn't say, I'm feeling for you. He didn't say, that's just the way it is, folks. No, he said, you come to me. You can have rest. The Pharisees would put a yoke upon somebody and say, do, 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 and maybe you'll make it, maybe not. The great difference between Christ's religion and the world's is the world says you do this, you do that and maybe, maybe, maybe 
He'll work it out. Jesus didn't say, Now, Father, that's step one. It's up to them to finish the job. No, he said it is finished. What part of finished do some people not quite understand? He said, I will give you rest. There's a verse that has come, become very precious to me. Paul was writing to the people of Philippi. Chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, we were reminded by Miss Nina this morning about a woman who in this world would say, I I'm a Jew. I didn't appreciate this for a long time, but it's been in the book all along. Paul wrote to a bunch of folks, there might have been some, humanly speaking, Jews in that congregation, but probably most, if not all, were Gentiles, the toy, the dogs, the unclean. And Paul writes to them, if anybody knows who a Jew is, it was Paul. He says, we are the circumcision of the people who wear certain clothes and eat certain foods and, and have a certain heritage and perspective. No, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman in John 4. He said, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. Not just going through the motions. Their head and their heart are engaged in honoring Christ. That's what we ought to pray about. We're talking about being prepared. As we do reminded again this morning. I'm not a ghost. Father and Son both talked to us about being prepared to come to the house of God. It means something. We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Hmm, that kind of narrows it down now, doesn't it? And have no, not even a little bit, confidence in the flesh. Why well, do I'm saying? Because I did this. And I did that. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. Our rejoicing is to be in Christ and Christ alone. That will give you security <clears throat> to know what our great God has done. Lifted up from the miry clay of sin. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 2. Do I need to remind you how you used to think, how you used to feel, how you used to talk, and how you used to walk? Oh, Mister! You were just like the children of wrath. On the outside, really nobody could tell the difference. I think some people are like, well, you know, if you're a saved person, even before you're saved, there's a glow about you. People can tell. Well, the Lord, the Father knows who you are. But uh, I don't know that you can show anything on the outside. Uh, I tell you what. If one of our kids glowed a little bit when we brought him home from the hospital, I think we'd be going back. So, God, what's going on here? See, when the Lord is the one, we really don't have to care because 
if he's our shepherd, we truly shall not want. And he's established this border guard about us. Do you know that? You might not see it, but it's there. And yet there remains a conflict. Yes, it's true. Eternal salvation. What a rejoicing. But you know what? When you got up this morning and you looked in the mirror, you saw a sinner if you opened your eyes. I saw a sinner when I opened my eyes. That's what we are. So, were you a sinner saved by grace? Yeah, but I'm still a sinner. That old man, that man of sin, that old nature comes out. We're told to mortify those members. We're supposed to reckon ourselves dead to those things, but they have a way of coming out now, don't they? Sometimes by what we do and sometimes by what we don't do. Saved from the great penalty. We continue to be saved from the power of sin. But still the crippling effects of sin, what it has done. In the seventh of Romans, if you have any doubt about this, you just read Romans 7, how Paul points out, oh wretched man. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? You can't get away from it in this world. Till the day you die, you will have sinful thoughts. I will have sinful thoughts. Our attitudes won't always be right. The direction in which we go won't always be right. We are erring. We continue to err. We need to pray but the Lord forgive our sin. We need to say, yes, Lord, when I do this, when I speak that, when I go to this and get involved with that, that is sin. We sin by what we do. And we know it is wrong. We sin by when we fail to do what is right. The conflict that's going on should inspire us to respond in three ways. First of all, we ought to say, I'm going to serve Christ out of appreciation whose mercies for me. If you have the attitude, why should I give thanks? Why should I show any Because after all, uh, what's he done for me lately? You still breathing? What's one thing? We need to remember our weak frames. The psalmist says he he knows that we are his. That's it. And not a whole lot of stability, a whole lot of security in us. In our own strength, especially compared to Satan, we are cripples. If Peter thought, I can stand against the devil, the devil's not going to get anything on me. Maybe he thought that way. If he did, Jesus took him down a few notches when he said, Satan has desired to have you shake you like wheat. Not this way, but up and down and all around. He'll turn you every which way but loose. That's what he wants to do. 
but many times he did accomplish. And may yet with us still accomplish. That's his desire. That's his goal. Mess you up. Get you dead in the water. Is there any hope? Absolutely. Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. You're part of the problem when you're going through that stuff and trying to do it in your own strength. But when you are converted, have you been converted? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but there's some things undoubtedly you still need to be converted from. You might be able to hide it from everybody else, even your husband and your wife. But maybe it's a question of pride, of self-esteem. You read that passage, esteem everyone else better than yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah, right, sure. But do we really? Do we really follow through the example of Jesus? And then, of course, this should move us to adore the one whose grace it is that has saved us. That's why we're here. Why are we in church? To brag on ourselves? <laughs> that run out of so quickly. To lift up Christ. To see Him. To show Him to others. To rejoice in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. That's true for you. That's true for me. All of God's own. And you walk out of here, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person after all. Then something needs to be made real to you. We're incomplete without Christ. We're without hope without Christ. May the Lord mix faith with what He said in His Word. And I said today, we sing both.